Hello, and welcome to Area 51. We are beginning a new transmission. And what we'd like to talk about today is the state of affairs regarding knowledge. How do we know what we know? What do we know? And do we know anything at all? It's almost fair to say that we know nothing. What triggered me was the electron. We were looking at electrons and there was a picture and it showed the atoms in formation and the atoms in formation, the caption on the picture said that that is the highest magnification that we've got available. So we can't get any more magnified than the atoms. So, we're able to observe atoms existing in bunches. We're not able to observe electrons or protons. And we all go around pretending as if we know what electrons and protons are. I've got no idea. What the hell is an electron? What is a proton? I don't know. I've never seen one. I've never held one in my hand. I've never had any fathomable experience with a proton or an electron or even, to that point, an atom. I've never had an experience with an atom. Now, we get this idea that atoms exist and we look at diagrams of atoms where you see... a round bully thing with some circles around it with orbs on the circles that are supposed to spin in concentric dimensions are supposed to go round and round and round and round that's what's supposed to happen things are supposed to whiz around the centre and as they're whizzing round the centre they're supposed to create charge which holds everything together and the idea seems to be that if they stopped moving then everything would fall apart it's only because things are constantly moving in their little micro orbits that things hold together but we don't really know that along with a whole host of other things but we don't really know once you get the bug for it it's quite infectious what don't we know today you can pretty much guarantee that whatever you look at you'll be able to um, find some good evidence that the person who's talking hasn't really got a clue what they're going on about. Now, we were looking at Edwin Hubble today because we got this coin, and on this coin, it's got this young bloke putting his arm around some old bloke and going, Oi, look. Over there, come on, old timer. Get ye gone from the field. Your day, your days of toiling and tilling are over. Right, and that was a Russian coin. And so we shared this, and our friend said, "What's the significance of 1924 when the coin was printed?" So the coin was printed in 1924. We don't know that, it's just got 1924 written on it. We don't even know that 1924 exists because most of the people who were, you know what I mean? So, 
1924's too far back for me to speak about with certainty. I have no knowledge of anything before 1984, really. I can't say of anything that happened in the first year of my supposed being alive. So we got this coin, right? And so we're looking at things that can be challenged as verifiable knowledge. And then on this coin, it's got a young bloke giving the point to an old bloke days of toiling in the field are over right and so my mate was like what's the significance of 24 and we looked on wikipedia which may or not provide accurate information and so he gets on to wiki 1924 first thing pretty much lenin out stalin in stalin begins the purge so that was the significance of 1924 in as much as this coin was concerned because it's a russian ruble so it's in a Russian field with Russian people giving Russian gestures. Alright, so how does this relate to Hubble? Because we were looking at Hubble, and Hubble was at the end of the year. At the start of the year, it was Lenin and Stalin, 1924, Wikipedia. End of the year, it was Edwin Hubble. And at the end of 1924, Edwin Hubble supposedly calculated that Andromeda was a separate galaxy from the Milky Way. At the time, it was only thought that the Milky Way was so large, but he made all these calculations based on a formula that was given to him. And this woman gave him a formula. She likes to remain anonymous. She keeps cropping up in history. And... Um, she gave him this formula, right? And he worked out through this formula that certain lights were a certain distance. And based on all these calculations, he was able to infer that the light he was looking at was so far away, and because it was that far away, it couldn't be in the thing that we thought of as our local area. It had to be in there. So ever since 1924, we've had this idea about galaxies existing outside of our solar system. For 98 years, as a species, we've been believing that there's a galaxy called Andromeda and it's outside of the Milky Way, which is the galaxy that we inhabit allegedly because the people who've looked at the lights in the skies tell us that's how things are now when i go and look at these lights in the skies i can tell you something they don't look 2.5 million light years away that's for sure you don't look up in the sky and think god that light really did travel two and a half million light years to impress itself upon my retina it doesn't work like that you're never out there appreciating the depth of history because it doesn't seem like that it doesn't feel like that so we got to know we got to know why why have we got all these things in our mind that may or may not be true why do we carry around all these facts about things you know we've got so much certain knowledge that as soon as you begin to challenge it and say, can you verifiably prove that to be the case? Am I able 
cannot independently corroborate. Is this statement independently corroborable? That's what we need to wonder. We need to say, are we going to be able to apply this knowledge to our lives in a way that makes sense? Because we've got so much information in our mind that doesn't have a practical use, you know. So, Orion's Bell was Sagittarius A and it's X amount of light years away and you know off the top of my head bad example but you know what I mean there are 118 elements in the periodic table and there's no more possible elements in the universe that was a statement that somebody made a scientist and he made a presentation about the periodic table and the elements and you could tell in the presentation that he wasn't revealing the depth of his knowledge he was going along a system along a route of revealing information that doesn't reveal too much information you know he was repeating these mantras that become formulas that are really lies and so these repeated statements that get impressed upon us light travels at this speed per second we all sing the number you know and we all adhere to it because it's become part of the establishment you know there's money invested in supporting this lie so as soon as a lie gets financial backing everyone has to go along with it otherwise it's heresy so that's how it happens in science and the academic side of things if you don't go along with the official narrative then you don't get any funding so that's no good for the kind of independent corroboration thesis for all information should be independently corroboratable <laughs> see we don't have we don't have these sort of things going around our heads most of the day we've got more important things to think about like masks and truckers and celebrities mother trucking celebrities mate right so what I'm hoping to stimulate is an investigation into the world around us and a look at the lens of science and how science has given us a distorted world view because it gives us these facts that we can't corroborate. We've got no way of verifying whether what we're being told is true or not. Because we're being told about things 
beyond our frame of reference. They're either too big or too small for us to get a grip on. They're not within our orbit. They're not on our level. They're uh, levels above and beneath us. So we've kind of sandwiched ourselves between these paradigms that require huge numbers to grasp and everything gets really massive when you take it down to the infinitesimal or the maximized scale you know things get out of control because we can't we can't corroborate what's going on we can't verify what's going on so scientists just keep multiplying things to the power of infinity you know it all gets multiplied to the power of infinity because the imagination's obviously infinite so in the imagination there's space for infinity but in the real world we don't get too many active examples of infinity everything seems to be finite really as far as we're aware we don't have too much infinity going on around us, you know. We can think things are infinite, but actual infinite experience, things that don't end. So maybe that's life. Maybe we're on a continuum and things never end. But why have we got so many different scales that we can't apprehend with our mind, you know? Numbers that are too big for us to get a grip on why are we looking at these things and why do we take them as gospel truth you know why do we get all these facts given to us that we can't corroborate what's the point in establishing a scientific method if you're not going to adhere to scientific principles when you look Hubble and Birkeland who were looking at electric currents and the distances of lights in the sky around a hundred years ago apparently they all had apparatus and instruments and they were doing experiments with things that could be observed but they put everything under a formula and as soon as the formula was applied to the phenomena it got taken out of our comprehension we could no longer comprehend it and we had to put it all into computers so now we get computers to comprehend data to give us results based on formulas to give us an idea about what's going on in the world now i've been reading the results of all these formulas and computers for the majority of my adult life i've taken it quite seriously to try and find out what's going on in the world regards to quantum physics and all that kind of jazz so you know a lot of these documents have appeared and I never get anything from them you know it's it's almost 99% of uh, information encountered that you try to remember but doesn't really seem to equate to anything that you can verify you know again it's that taking things on belief and accepting it as given that they've done the methodology the rigorous methodology in order to satisfy the conditions that enables them to present that as knowledge we take it all on faith because of 
for characters, for good characters that have been built up in the communities and how they're respected, like Michelle Kako and um, Brian Cox, you know, these people who speak to us today, they've been educated so they've got the knowledge to be able to transmit, but they don't, because all the knowledge they're transmitting is based on book knowledge, it's not verifiable facts, it's not things that you can observe in your own field of experience, it's all been taken out of the field of experience, it's either too big or too small, there's no middle ground where these things correlate and we get to see the bigger picture as it relates to our day-to-day -day lives. Just trying to make a case for a radical re-evaluation of everything we consider as knowledge and go back to square one and begin from the most basic premises you know so what can we what can we interact with what can what can we you know learn from in a way that gives us a felt sense of being and being with you know the thing that kind of cracked me over on this was getting one of those little plasma balls you know so I've been kind of fascinated with plasma reading about plasma and watching YouTube videos about plasma science and petroglyphs and what all these things could mean and there's lightning and Birkeland currents and filaments and galaxies and universe and all these different majestic things that get spoken about and hydrogen reactions and liquid hydrogen and liquid metallic hydrogen and bending gravity and you know and all this kind of different stuff and so I read all this different stuff and got all these different ideas in my mind and I was trying to correlate it with anything that could be useful or you know tangible and then I got a little plasma ball and I started putting my finger on this ball and watching the way the electric was drawn to it and I learned so much more in a short space of time than I had in watching all those videos together they give you a good idea they give you a you know set of parameters within which to observe you can say all right so these petroglyphs were made and that was a sun symbol and when i put my finger on the ball i get the same sun symbol forming around my finger so maybe there's an electric filament that feeds the sun lo and behold a few days later oh look at all these filaments in the universe there's filaments connecting everything we've never really thought about these but we've just discovered them with one of our bits of technology so all this stuff's happening where you challenge something and then it gets ripped down and then they start again so that's what we need to keep on doing we need to keep challenging everything that we think we know you know like does hydrogen really have a proton an electron and a neutron or is hydrogen a complex interaction and synthesis of the whole within a given moment in a given space in a given time does it all exist as one thing that takes on different forms given the necessity of the moment or is it different things that undergo the necessity of the moment in different ways my suspicion is that we've got an erroneous view 
because we like to look at things in isolation. We like to take a specimen and put it in a cabinet where we can look at it and we separate it from the earth or the you know the being that created it. We separate things from their environment and then we look at them in isolation and we try to think about what it could mean, you know, like the thing that's happened is humans have isolated themselves to the point where they were sitting in a room on their own on a chair thinking about the chair and then they wrote about that chair that's what philosophy is you know university degree philosophy you read it and most of the guys that you read because it's mainly men that done philosophy for whatever reason most of the guys start off with a chair and they look at a chair and they try to come up with something novel to justify their existence about what they've observed in man's relation between a chair, the pen, the paper and the brain. And it's how have all these different things come about and we'll combine these concepts in different ways to talk about it in a way that generates a salary, basically. That's what it's become about. It's like we need to generate a salary, so we need something to talk about because we need to survive. And to survive in this human sphere, we need money because we've separated ourselves to the extent that we no longer have free energy. The things we need have all been manufactured or the things that we believe we need have all been manufactured and so there's this manufacturing process that commands the necessities of the age there's things that we consider we need in order to survive you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs we've all seen it mostly the idea that without basic fulfillments you don't get to the next stage of the ladder you've got to make your way to the top fulfilling successive stages before you can consider yourself a self-realized individual so it's all about realizing self that's what it's all been it's all been agnosticism it's all been about becoming god becoming a separate individual that knows everything in their own mind that seems to be like the modus operandi of the cultural push towards classifying phenomena in a system of knowledge. We like to know things because it makes us feel comfortable because we can control them. Their behaviour can be predicted and we can use formulas in order to maintain our will. You know, we apply formulas to everything because we found that there are certain formulas that produce results but mutations happen and that's what we're seeing so we've got to this stage where it's being recognised that formulas don't work fail safe, they're not 100% effective 
there are instances where things happen and the parameters of the formula aren't comprehensive enough to keep an accurate grip on what's occurring. It's like these recidivist chips in artificial intelligences that are producing erroneous calculations, you know. So things are happening with inside the algorithms that the programmers didn't predict. And it's one of these mutations that's happening where you can't apply a formula to time because time doesn't adhere to formulas. And that's kind of what we've got to register. We've got to try and to stop try to stop gaining eternal knowledge that can be applied throughout all time and bring it down to a relative knowledge of within this space and this time this can be applied but we don't know beyond this space and this time and all that can really be said about those lights in the sky is they're pretty you know there's loads of these pretty lights in the sky and they move they seem to come closer or further away depending on how you're behaving they're a lot more interactive than two and a half trillion year old light or however long it's supposed to have taken to get here you know so this Hubble mystery is about looking at things and trying to find the reasons why it was agreed that we could exhibit a statement as fact. Why, why did we as a collective society agree that a formula which had been applied in a room probably while sat on a chair could tell us how far away a light in the sky was how did that become certain knowledge they talk about cephids and parallaxes you know and so it's quite mystifying to try and get to the kernel of what they discovered and how they were able to translate their phenomenological apprehensions into a system of science that could be taken as fact. It seems beyond the ordinary man and maybe purposefully so because if that was really the case that we discovered for the first time that there's another galaxy outside of ours that's big news and I've never really heard about it the first I ever heard about Andromeda was in a YouTube video saying that the Milky Way and Andromeda are going to merge in the future the two galaxies are going to merge that was my first impression of Andromeda and at the time I was of the belief that we could take things for granted when they're presented as fact because they'd all been 
corroborated by a rigorous scientific method. I hadn't learnt the value of independent corroboration, which is what we need to be doing with these bits of information that get presented to us. We need to independently corroborate the val validity of the facts. You know, are we breathing oxygen? Is this really oxygen we're breathing? I don't know. I wouldn't know how to tell. I don't really know what oxygen is. All my life I've been told that I'm breathing oxygen and I'm told that you can get bottles containing oxygen and so you can breathe in nothing but pure oxygen and people use this as a therapy so it must be fairly well established but how do we corroborate that the thing that's in the canister we're breathing in is actually oxygen or how do we corroborate that that thing accords to that element in that periodic table who do we know who's actually got the apparatus to do experiments on stuff and tell us about its composition you know it's all done in the academic in the university and all this is a fixed club and the proof that it's a fixed club is the legal system because the legal system guards the establishment and all my adult life, I've been told that the legal system is uh, corrupt and duplicitous organisation. And that there are certain things written into law that, should we know, would enable us to live above the law, as if the law did not affect us. And it seems there are people who live according to that status. The law does not apply to them. They are above the law. They literally get away with murder on a regular basis. Now, this is the thesis. The free man on the land thesis. That everything's been hidden and coded. And this is the legal system, right? Why is this proof that the whole establishment is corrupt? Because nobody has come forward to deny the claims. If I was running a country and there was an insurgency within the country where a group of people were spreading information saying that the legal system is a corrupt and duplicitous organisation, I would act swiftly to settle the minds of the citizens. I wouldn't leave the citizens wondering, is this true or is this false? You wouldn't do that. You'd settle the minds of the citizens and you'd give them a comprehensive analysis of the law so that every relevant detail was brought to light and there would be no uncertainty in the minds of the citizens. It would all be fully revealed. That's what would happen in an ideal situation. But it hasn't happened. What has happened is there's been instances where anybody that presents said information 
gets it vehemently denied. But the issue as a whole hasn't been addressed. It's been largely swept under the carpet. So we can say without a shadow of a doubt that the legal system is corrupt and protects the interests of the academic system. And the academic system is corrupt. But we're not entirely sure whose interests they're protecting. Which means that we need to try and avoid the pendulum swing of going from good to bad. Is this good or bad? We need to try and look at things and fix them rigorously and say, okay, this has occurred. How are we able to orientate ourselves towards it so that it makes sense? Hubble looked at lights and applied a formula to determine that the light was a galaxy so many light years away, millions of light years away, right? What was Hubble doing? Why did that woman give Hubble that information that he used as a formula? What was happening in that circle? What were they aware of? What were they working for? What were they working against? What was their inclination? Would they have sufficient reason to promote a lie? You know, was there something in the lie that enabled things to occur in other dimensions that aided progress was it one of these things that will do this for the greater good even though it will stifle the present you know we'll stop investigating and take things as given you know as soon as you get one of these formulas people stop thinking for themselves that's what it does that's what McKenna's saying about ideology is that basically it's an insult to rational human thought, you know. We don't need formulas. We need to look at everything as it is in our perception and how it appears, you know, because formulas can't really be applied to perception and life. They're not really substantial enough to hold up to the magnanimity of existence it's kind of beyond our comprehension and we need to respect that you know rather than trying to formulate laws for command and control is what it seems to be it seems to be about controlling things you know dominate a culture seeks to control things so it creates a legal establishment an academic establishment a military establishment to protect the royal fraternity or busy drinking gin and tonic at bloody Marlow on the Thames or shooting deer or something you know so I don't know what, what a deal is dominion over nature 
it's just separate separation from nature isn't it so we look at things in isolation because we like to think of ourselves in isolation having conquered everything it's this desire to conquer everything instead of a pinnacle of existence as for one true conqueror of all things in existence i have mastered the universe i am master of the universe seems to be this kind of drive that sustains book knowledge you know things that we don't know that get taken as fact it seems to come from this looking at things in isolation and separating ourselves from nature to put ourselves above nature you know what I mean like we're so specific we're not general are we when things happen in general it seems to be a bit easier because there's more abundance when you get specific it leads to scarcity you know, there's one or two people in the world who are going to understand what I'm about to write because it's so specific. Whereas, you know, one or two people that might get it and perhaps through their work it will advance for science. But we're not really interested in science so much as we're interested in species. You know, it's all about trying to elevate the species as opposed to the art form because the science is the art form it's the species art we've all all species have got their own forms you know you see him chucking rocks onto the ice to see if you can walk on it science i chuck a rock and it goes through the ice i'm not going to be able to walk on it it's pretty much as good as it gets you know it brings it back to the real level where you've got something you hold and your life and future dependent on the decisions you make depending on how the experiment unfolds you know yeah too much isolation things are happening too much in isolation Man has only had a unconscious since he lost his territory. Animals have no unconscious, subconscious, because they have a territory. When you're out and about, everything you think gets reflected in nature. Nature's really smart, really intelligent. Things that don't get much credit have got intelligence and provide solutions, you know, and insights and all kinds of things you know like things I've got on the floor the round orange things that I could peel and use for sustenance you know it's a complex relationship between the plant that grows the sustenance and the being that sustains itself on the product And the problem with our knowledge is we can't really make anything out of it. We can because there's obviously amazing manufacturing 
processes going on, but this kind of dead book knowledge doesn't lead to productivity. Doesn't get things going, you know. What I learned was that the mines down in Cornwall were full of crystals and the reason they got mined was to do with the crystals and the way it affects our consciousness. And so it was mined because of the correlation with consciousness. That was the activity, you know. The activity of mining was brought about by this stimulation in consciousness to do with crystals. So it's all in mind, isn't it? You know, it's a relationship between mind and material. And, you know, there's real knowledge that you can apply, you know. If you go down and assemble this copper, then you end up with copper wires and you're able to run circuits and make lights. And that's what they were doing, you know. They were plundering all the copper and making an electrical circuit. But... After the 20s or so, 1924, when Stalin got into power and Hubble discovered Andromeda, since then it's all been obfuscated. And this electrical science that was going on with the elements that had been plundered from the mines got complicated beyond apprehension of the ordinary man. And the establishment presented it in such a way that it couldn't be applied to a day-to-day situation without converting everything that you could read. You know, you had to convert everything to be able to apply it because it doesn't give it to you as is. It's all codified and bound up in these systems of syntax and numerical denomination we got the denomination blues man what we want to do is we want to pick up a potato we want to bang a wire into it we connect it to a bulb and we want the spud to power the light that's pretty simple basic stuff and so how do crystals form that's what we were going on about we were going on about the crystals in the minds affecting consciousness I've got this great relationship with crystals, man. My whole adult life I've been kind of indebted to crystals for keeping me going. Just simple, straightforward kind of relationship, you know. Nothing too complex. I don't know anything, but what I felt I should be doing based on this revelation that the minds had kind of been plundered and it affected everyone's conscious is, you know, start growing crystals. And so after starting to grow crystals, then I became a little bit more kind of knowledgeable, you know, after doing the thing. After actually doing the thing, then results were cleaned. So now I've got some crystals and they're kind of keeping us going in their own way they're a bit fragile because they were made with an element that doesn't produce crystals 
which sustain moisture. The moisture makes them crumple and deteriorate. So we need to come up with a better method for making our crystals so they don't deteriorate down to all the moisture in the air. You know, these things that we can observe having an effect. So, you know, we have to get back to these kind of simple things and home-based environments, outdoors environments. The one that came upon me to do with this question was that nobody really does metaphysics anymore out in the field, you know. It's all presentations with projectors in rooms or lectures in rooms, in classes. Metaphysics isn't done too often, you know, explicitly at the stone circles anymore, which are great metaphysical temples, as it were, you know, like, we should really be doing these kind of broadcasts from there, where we can go and kind of do some live metaphysics and observe the stars and describe and explain about what's going on in the moment in our interactions with the stars and see if we can fathom anything from that instead of relying on this book knowledge that's come to us through intravenous means for dubious purposes you know we don't know exactly why those people who came up with all these facts presented their work as fact because I'm pretty sure most of them must have been aware that the information they were presenting wouldn't bear up to intense scrutiny. It was just that the scrutiny never got applied to the ones they wanted to stand up. Yeah, we'll go with this. Don't put it under too much pressure. Clear the way, clear the way. Coming through. You know, there's ways of getting things passed. It's like these acts in Senate where it goes to the Senate and the corporations say, yep, you're putting that one through. And the Senator goes, yeah, this bill can pass. And it's just like that. It's as simple as that. Yep, that's a fact. Okay, it's now a fact. This is a fact. Let's change everything accordingly. Because what do you know? You know nothing. Yeah, but I'd still take you home. Yeah, I'd still take you home. I said, what do you know? Oh, you don't know nothing, no. You're a fad, you're a fashion. And I'm having a job trying to talk to you, but it's all right. Put it on one side. Spring approaches. We're looking at things in a new way. You know, the electron was the first thing. The first thing, the first thing really was the rocks. And we're going to keep going back to the rocks until they get appreciated. Because the whole point in keep talking about these things is to make it so that we can talk about these things. Because at the minute, we don't talk about reality 
we talk about our image of reality the image has taken precedence over the experience for the majority because that's how we are how we feel what we are and what we know you know so we know that there's this major discrepancy between the news and the event maybe the event never happened you know maybe all the events that ever happen do get swept under the carpet and the news is just there to distract us so we don't want to get too distracted by our alignment with cardinal points you know these cardinal points that seem to determine magnetic north and which way it is to the solar pole it's rings within rings and until we get the basic stuff sorted out it's too kind of mystical to be secure you know we can't go on any of these endeavors on a sure footing until we get rid of all the mysticism you know and get things back to ground level and go all right we've now discussed things and their eccentricity and their simplicity and so on and so forth having discussed these things that we've recognized we can go and do some further exploration but i'm not really sure what i am where we are what this is you know all those basic kind of questions you know you get presented with information about an electric universe right so this idea that in the blink of an instant everything could change right so you've got this static electric field providing the parameters of the experience and it's an act of magic that holds things stable and secure you know that makes order out of chaos right so maybe it's just our perception that hones the order and these facts are blocks for perceiving the world in a regular stable and linear fashion and without these blocks then the world may appear in a very different way you know because we orientate ourselves towards things depending on what we think we know you know we get this idea that if we want to go to Andromeda then it would take a craft as long as it takes to travel 2.4 million bloody light years you know whatever so we have to come up with a craft that can do 2.4 million light years in about 40 minutes then we're going to get one of them then Oi, taxi get into Andromeda 40 minutes mate step on it so very much right what are we going to do when we get there? Well, we're going to speak to the Andromedans about their recordings of bodies in orbit. Because what they do, according to Alex Collier, who was contacted by Andromedans during his lifetime in the 1980s and 1990s, YouTube 
university, Alex Collier, Andromeda, it's where kind of the information comes from somewhere, doesn't it? It gets into the consciousness somehow, so this guy's saying he was contacted by Andromedans, and they envy us because they don't possess the capacity to make music. They can't just sit down and do that, which is composition. They don't have this natural ability to compose. And so they really envy the Earth species for its ability to make music. Right, so this is one of the things you hear that's an independently corifiable fact. What we're going to do is we're going to go to Andromeda, we're going to meet some Andromedans, and we're going to say to them, did any of you lot ever have a chat with a bloke on Earth called Alex Collier and tell him about your envy for our ability to make music? You know, we're going to go and corroborate these facts. So he's come down and said it, and we're going to be able to go and check because we're going to go to Andromeda because we're going to find out how. That's the point, you know. When you break it all down, it gets really, really, really simple. That's the crack. Whatever there is, it's simple. Otherwise, there'd be no point, you know. Like, you get 75 years. You're not going to be able to do that in 75 years, mate. It's got to be simple enough to do it in 75 years. If you can't do it in 75 years, it can't be done, basically. So it's simple. So in the next, well... 20 years let's say we're going to go to Andromeda we're going to meet the Andromedans and we're going to corroborate this fact that was presented to us by Alex Collier um, what we've got to do to get there is we've got to remove all the stable and inert science and replace it with dynamic apprehension things that we can correlate ratios and appendages that we can you know things that things that work right so turn the bloody switch on the water get hot you put bag in the cup you pour the water on the bag and then you put the milk in and give it a stir whatever you know make it how you want it all right we won't get into the finer details of making a cup of tea the basic premise is uh, if you want a cup of tea turn the bloody kettle on right so we want to get to andromeda which means we better start the bloody starcraft and if we want to start the bloody starcraft what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to build it right so we're going to have to find out everything about physics basically and once we know about physics we're going to be able to build the starcraft so the first thing we've got to find out about physics is do things exist in isolation or is it all a unified field and how do we approach things dependent on the result, right? So the result of that inquiry will inform the rest of our approach towards this practical problem of going to Andromeda and finding out if the Andromedans came to Earth and spoke to a guy called Alex Collier. So all we want to know. We just want to know if they spoke to Alex. Oi, did you lot speak to Alex? Did you speak to Alex or did you not? That's what we want to know because... Ultimately, I'm more concerned whether or not Alex was a bullshitter because he took the time to make a video and explain all this stuff, you know. He seems to have been a genuine guy who'd done it off his own back, you know. He seems to have gone through a lot because of it. And so he seemed to be quite noble in that gesture. It's like, no, no, he's someone who's like come out and he's taken a lot of flack and continues to stick by his guns. Perhaps there's something about him. So... Yeah, I guess it's that. I guess it's that 
human element of wanting to discern whether or not someone's your friend or not, friend or foe. And that seems to be the crux, doesn't it? That's, that's knowledge right there. Are you a friend or are you a foe? And that's kind of like what we need to boil it down to. Is this, is this worth being framed or is it foe? Basically, framed or foe? Framed, cool, put it on the wall. Foe, shit, take another hit. Sweet, cool, I've got that sorted. Yeah, I don't know, lots of things, but doesn't it, doesn't it really seem necessary that we need to go enough of all this fucking bullshit, stop pretending like you know all the answers. You don't know all the answers. Stop treating us like we're these mugs who are just gullible enough to go along with anything. Give us some fucking credit. All we want is the truth. Are we going to get to go to Andromeda or not? Was Alex bullshitting? You know, are there people in this world that say things which can be believed? Or do you have to independently corroborate every piece of information which comes your way? That seems to be the kernel of this episode, doesn't it? Whether or not we can take things as gospel, or do we need to corroborate? GC, mate. CG. Cog. Cognition. Cognate. brings us on to the mono field and I've said mon o field <laughs> where are you going Never seen an atom. Not sure why the existence of atoms should concern me. Never been to Andromeda. Not sure why the existence of Andromeda should concern me. From atoms to Andromeda. On a huge fucking scale of you haven't got a Scooby fucking do, mate. You haven't got a fucking clue. Nine miles beneath your feet is as far as you need to go to go beyond the limit of human apprehension. We ain't gone down though over nine miles. That's as whole as they, it's as deep as the hole was dug in Russia. It went down less than nine miles. It got to 300 degrees Celsius and the machinery couldn't go any further. The mines in South Africa are 4.8 miles deep. It's as deep as the mines go, and it's pretty gruesome down there, man. It's pretty rad. So we've got all this stuff that we don't really know about. I think it's time to appreciate. I think it's time to go cool. This is pretty awesome, all this stuff. Um, let's look at it with an open mind and just vibe and chill and not take things too seriously yeah not in a rush not really going anywhere 
be good. Yeah, just um, make time for your friends, I guess seems to be the major crack. Yeah, make time for your friends, fuck facts. Cool, sweet, see you later.